Hey everybody, welcome to Literary Disco on Lit Hub Radio, episode 173, Bookshelf Revisit, Summer 2020. Today we'll do an old-fashioned bookshelf revisit, wherein each of us take a volume down from our shelves and bring it up for discussion. This is Literary Disco, the last book club you'll ever need. We're Todd, Julia, and Ryder, three old friends who love to read, debate, and sometimes even agree. I am actor and filmmaker Ryder Strong. Joining me, as always, our novelist and critic Todd Goldberg, and essayist and radio personality Julia Pistel. Hi, guys. Hi. Hey. hey. What's going on? Same old, same old. <laughs> uh, had a Rice Krispie treat for breakfast today. <laughs> I feel like, okay, here's my pandemic snack story of the week. Greg has all been right. ordering stuff from Costco, which we were always Costco people, but now he's getting like experimental, which is horrible. You have to know and physically see what you're going to buy. So he heard me mention once several years ago that like when I was a kid, we ate Pop-Tarts for breakfast. I haven't had a Pop-Tart in like, a long time, 20 years. <laughs> he ordered Pop-Tarts from Costco. It is the worst decision anyone has ever made. I now have- Because they're delicious? 48 Pop-Tarts. Oh my God. Of course, because it's Costco size. Right. Exactly. Right. Horrible. Um, yeah, it's a big problem. I'll put a picture what, on our uh, Facebook page. What flavor? <sighs> okay, strawberry and um, okay. brown cinnamon brown sugar. They're both That's good. It. Those are the only two flavors. That's, That's it. That's right. So it's okay. You don't deviate. Don't deviate from that. No. We like, I, don't, I, I think I've only had cold Pop-Tarts. I don't think I've ever had like, yeah, and this has been 20, 30 years. Yeah, it's it's been a long time since I've had a Pop-Tart too. Like Pop-Tarts used to be a key part of my diet. Like mm. up until age 40, I would say that the food item I'd eaten the most in my life was the Pop-Tart. And then... <laughs> Um, so on my 40, like on or about my 40th birthday, I went to the doctor figuring like, I should maybe find out about what I got going on inside. Pop and the doctor was like, yeah, the doctor was like, you're going to die. He took one look at you and he was like, yeah. you are 80% Pop-Tart. And that <laughs> was a problem. Like that was the end of my Pop-Tart era. Uh, and, but it's funny that you should mention Pop-Tarts again, because my sister and my brother um, actually, both sisters and my brother also like when they went for their first pandemic shopping, like you know, March fifteenth or whatever. Um, they all bought like thirty six pop tarts. Oh no! And it's too many pop tarts huh? is total comfort food. Right. The brown sugar cinnamon pop tart is or was. I don't know if it still remains this because I'm sure they've they've altered the uh, the recipe some. Mm. Was the perfect food. You I don't think it's cold. changed. You could eat it hot. It could be breakfast. It could be lunch. It could be dinner. It could be a midnight snack. It's the perfect food. So they've yeah, rebranded so a how... little bit. On the side of the box, it says, enjoy them any way you want. And it's like toasted, frozen, still in the foil. And then I forgot what the last frozen. one was. And what? I was like, what the hell? This is this is crazy. But yeah. Frozen? <laughs> I know. I've never had a frozen pop Sorry. Pie. I'm waking the demon here, I'm sure. <laughs> I think it's super interesting that people are going back to um, like comfort foods because I've definitely, you know, that's been happening in my house. Mm -hmm. And and then also like I've noticed I've gone through distinct phases of music too um, mm -hmm. and movies mm -hmm. like a lot of like the like right right when the pandemic started, I, I whenever I would watch a movie with my son, it was an 80s fantasy movie. Uh, mm -hmm. And I was like clearly taking him on a tour of like my favorite film from when I was 
10 years old or, you know, under 10 years old. And it's, uh, and it was like so comforting in a way. Uh, and, and, and then with music too, like I've gone through like, for whatever reason, like, uh, early aughts, like, you know, music that I listened to when I lived in New York, when I was 20, it became like really important. Like all these artists I never listened to anymore were suddenly like back in my life. And I was all these old songs. It's super fascinating. Like, yeah. I, well, I think there's something to be said for, um, easing into the comfort of something that that requires absolutely no thought or anticipation you know right um right like all of a sudden like oh that hits that dopamine and i feel good yep. for four That's minutes good... without anything yeah. else um so i think that there's a lot to be said for that and I, I mean it's also why i think like on a on a larger level like i'm just wearing basketball shirt shorts and t-shirts every single day of my life like i can't imagine putting on a pair of jeans see I feel that like I, I can't do <laughs> i i am wearing boots and jeans and clothes every day and Dude, belt like i cannot go without i it. haven't like... worn shoes since march oh my <laughs> that's insane to me going on a walk no when i when i'm exercising i wear shoes but at home Nope. Not at all. Oh, Nothing. see, that drives me crazy. So you're taking Zoom meetings. You're doing like right now. Mm-hmm. You are not wearing shoes. No, I'm not wearing <sighs> shoes. No. Fuck oh, no. See, I can't. I mean, Alex has made fun of me because I can't write without wearing <laughs> shoes, which she thinks is ridiculous. But I'm like, no, 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 no. If I'm sitting in, uh, if I'm at the job, if I'm at my job, I need to have shoes on. Like, <laughs> I have. I, we just saw Todd's feet. I, in general, I'm pretty dirty. Um, <laughs> but. I did recently notice, so we've been doing like tons of hiking and going out to empty beaches and stuff. Um, I noticed that I have totally become one of those people who thinks their outside clothes are dirty. Um, <laughs> I'm like, I get home and I like, what does that mean? Want to change. Okay, so oh, yeah. Ryder, there's like a whole category of people who like, when they get home, they change into all fresh clothes because the outside is covered in dirt and stuff. And I've wow. I've converted, like I just is it, it? It's not like a germ thing. It's not like a coronavirus. For me, no. It's more about just like the the difference between home and not home is yeah. now so black and white. You know, yeah, it's like right, we right. were out. I am not going out again. Like, and we always go out in the morning, um, as opposed to the afternoon. So usually, I'm in my basically pajamas by like 11 o'clock in the morning like i've been up and done my thing and then by 11 a.m pj pants that's amazing (laughs) that's that's so like wendy has three outfits she's got the pajamas that she wears from 6 p.m until 10 a.m the next morning or sometimes noon then she puts on uh then if she works out which she does just about every day she has the workout outfit and then she changes from the workout outfit into then the loungewear. And the loungewear is worn from approximately noon until 6. And then at 6, sure. she puts on the pajamas again. So it's like three full outfits. What I do is I wake up. And if, I, uh, if I'm exercising in the morning, then I wear like whatever t-shirt I woke up in and exercise in that. Uh, if I wake up in the – if I'm going to exercise in the evening – then I like I have to change clothes, but at no point during this time am I wearing pants. At no point. <laughs> so bizarre. But so like I've had to do a bunch of events and stuff, public events, um, because through UC Riverside, we still have a full slate of stuff that we're doing online. So talks and conversations and film screenings and all kinds of stuff. 
And so what I do for that is I will put on a nice shirt. And instead of the basketball shorts that I would normally wear, I put on a regular pair of shorts in case I, I don't know what would happen where they'd see my shorts. I don't want them to see me in my disgusting, no underwear basketball shorts. I want them to presume I'm wearing some sort of support garment yes. beneath the Banana Republic shorts that I'm wearing. Wow. It's a whole system. Wow. That was a deep dive, man. We- <laughs> <laughs> but at no point am I wearing pants. At well, no point. So what was part of this comfort revisit? Uh, Very good let's uh, make this transition wow. to... Our bookshelves. And what are you guys thinking about? What are you guys reading or having or going back on what you have read uh, besides Middle March, which we are still going through? Uh, are you guys reading anything or is there something you want to take down from your bookshelf? Who wants to go first? Uh, I've read a couple new things this week for events. Um, I'm in the thick of my um, academic year. Uh, so I have 8,000 theses to read, um, which I'm doing right now as well. So if you're li- if you're a student of mine, you're listening to it. That's all I'm doing is I'm reading your work. I have no free time. If you see me online, it's, I'm just taking a moment off from reading your work, and then you'll you'll get your notes pretty soon, <laughs> um, <laughs> real real soon. So I've read two really completely different books in the last week that um, are worth your time. Uh, the first is an absolutely fascinating fucking book um it's not appropriate necessarily for our show but if you are feeling anything about the world and life it is an interesting book to read it is a book called death immortality and meaning in life by the philosopher john martin fisher and uh john fisher received a 12 million dollar grant to study immortality a few years ago And he has spent about the last seven years studying immortality, both from a philosophical and a scientific uh, background. And this book details death, immortality, and meaning in life in both a philosophical way and then through actual study. So there's there's a huge big section on um, near-death experiences and how near-death experiences change depending upon where in the world you are. So in Western culture, a near-death experience often features someone being in a long tunnel and then being greeted at the end of the tunnel by their relatives and they, you know, they fly around and do stuff. In Japan, however, the near-death experience takes place almost universally in a rock garden and walking around a rock garden with a dead relative. And it turns out that near-death experiences uh, changed depending upon what the cultural cliche of a near-death experience is. <laughs> Shocking <laughs> to me. Um, but yeah. there's there's something in this book that I actually talked about in an essay that came out uh, this week. I wrote an essay that I got a very nice grant for um, that was to reflect basically the times that we're living in. Um, and if, if you haven't seen it, I'll, I'll put it up on our uh, Literary Disco page. But... Um, it was an essay that I wrote called The Outside In, and it's it's supposed to reflect sort of what it's like to, to be alive in this time. And in the essay, I talked a bit about, um, I don't think I mentioned this on the show, I, I had a weird experience where I was at home a couple weeks into this, and I looked up and there was a man standing in our living room. And it turned out that it was our next door neighbor, and he has, uh, he has Alzheimer's, and he had gotten lost and ended up in our, in our house. 
And so I wrote a little bit about that um, in this essay, but I also wrote about um, this precept in this book about what our lives are about. And it's this philosophy that says our entire life is terror management. And it is the terror of thinking about our own mortality. <laughs> and that everything that we have in our lives yeah. is a device to stop us from thinking about our own death. Very so timely, everything Todd. from Yeah, everything from God yeah. to baseball to, to you know watching TV, all of these institutions, all of these ideas is to stop us from thinking about our own mortality. Death avoidance. Yeah, death yeah. avoidance. I think there's a lot of truth to that, man. Yeah, it's so... <laughs> Um, it's a hugely it's it's not um it's not written like a uh, bestseller, <laughs> but but it is a hugely interesting book that you two at, at the very least might enjoy. When uh, you say that it's not written like a bestseller, you mean it's just not it's not like easy reading. It's it's like it's very it's like dense. listening to a lecture. Yeah yeah mm -hmm. okay yeah. So there I read that book and then sort of related to that. Um, I reread a book that I did an event for that some of you might have come to uh, because I saw some familiar names in the audience. Um, as some of you may know, I actually host another show, a radio Boo. show. Competitive. <laughs> a yeah. radio show called Open We Book. should have made you sign a clause, a non-competition clause. Um, <laughs> so I, on local public radio in the desert, I host a radio show called Open Book where uh, me and another person, Maggie Downs, interview authors. Um. And on that show, I refer to this show as my vastly more popular show. <laughs> good. Very good. good. Yeah, because it, it is. Um, but anyway, Maggie's got a brand new book out. It just came out this week. It's called Braver Than You Think. Uh, it is her memoir, and it's the story of her going on a trip around the world, uh, completing her mother's bucket list. Her mother was at home in Ohio, dying of Alzheimer's, and Maggie takes this trip around the world um, doing all the things that her mother wanted to do before she died. Um, and it's a heartbreaking book, of course. And um, it's also a, a neat reminder that we used to be able to leave our houses and go places and do interesting things and, and <laughs> I know, meet that's interesting what I was, people. Sort of like live vicariously for yeah. everybody. Everybody's going to be making like their post-pandemic bucket lists right now. You know? Yeah, I mean, there's all, the all, there's all these things where she's in weird places like packed tight into crowds and i'm like is are they wearing masks like, what's happening <laughs> exactly. and it's a real bit of dissonance you know like when you read these things you know only a couple months into this but anyway um braver than you think it's been getting really good reviews everywhere maggie is uh is a good friend of mine and uh she's she's friends with julia too i always forget that she knows julia um and yeah. i think she's met Ryder. yeah um, we hung out uh, we hung out a couple once times or twice yeah, yeah. Um, but her book just came out. It's it's a lot of fun. It's a little heartbreaking. But if you've got some wonderlust right now, um, Braver Than You Think will help you feel like you're not at home. And so I recommend it highly. That's great. That sounds great. I want to go next because I have the opposite recommendation. <laughs> cool. <laughs> um, so I started this book over Christmas. I bought it on a whim at a bookstore. Uh, it's called The Stranger in the Woods, The Extraordinary Story of the Last True Hermit. Um, it's oh. a really short nonfiction book, and it I, I just looked it up. Um, you get the sense that it was originally like an outside magazine or a GQ article, but the subject's so good that yeah, I, I read it. I read that essay. I thought did, we didn't do an episode about it. I thought we did an episode. I, no, I have some vague memory of us I talking think about it. We talked about it, maybe, or maybe yeah. I brought it up in a revisit or something. Because, or maybe yeah, when I had just bought it, I talked about it, but hadn't finished yeah. it yet. But I just finished it. Um, it's 
yeah, it's about a guy who wandered into the woods for 27 years and then was forced to come out. Um, and I don't want to say too much about it because it's short and I would just take away the the feeling of actually going and reading it. But it's <laughs> it's so bizarre because all I can think about is like this poor dude. He's been dragged into the world and now we have this going on. And he was totally <laughs> right. Like, See? Yeah. <laughs> um, and Except the other... his problem is he had to keep breaking into people's houses to right. feed himself. It wasn't like he was a self-sustaining hermit. He was like a thieving hermit <laughs> who was like creepily moving through the wilderness. A thieving and, yeah. hermit. Is there anything worse than a thieving hermit? <laughs> a thieving hobo. And the That's other... what the next Babysitter's Club is going to be about. <laughs> I think there's a thieving, thieving hermit, hermit in our neighborhood. <laughs> Well, the other thing um, that I went back to, I wanted to tell you guys about was, this is so just me being in my house too much. I was just sitting on the couch one day and I was like, Lumberjanes, remember that? And I'm like, within two minutes, I had ordered like four more of them on Amazon on my phone. (laughs) Like, too enabled. Um, So I've been whipping through these Lumberjanes comics, um, which is just, it feels like as an adult with real really no reason to read these things it feels like absolute indulgence popcorn reading which it is because i can read them Mm -hmm. in about 45 minutes (laughs) (laughs) comic books with a 10 year old girl audience um but they're just so delightful and fun and i wanted to like bring them up again in case uh listeners hadn't heard that episode or were looking for something like that or have kids who um want something because so quick recap on lumberjanes uh, it's a story about girls. It's a comic book about girls who can't or go to camp together and they find like crazy. The one I just read was about rock and roll mermaids, uh, in the lake. That's awesome. Whoa, um, whoa, whoa, wait. You uh, don't just say rock and roll mermaids and then keep yeah. going like on. mermaids who have a band? How Not do they plug that, in? But their, ma- they plug in? <laughs> their band had broken up and the Lumberjanes had to heal the rips. Help them get back in together. This oh, so it was like a Fleetwood Mac situation. Yeah, yeah. So mm. <laughs> just really delightful. And I guess I'm Are in an acoustic? outdoorsy mood. Is it an acoustic band? No, they had I'm, all I'm kinds of gear. I'm assuming it's acapella. <laughs> you guys, huh. you really got to suspend your disbelief here and go with it. But hmm. So is this the, do they only write siren songs that bring people, <laughs> that make them drown? <laughs> Jesus yeah, Christ. one of the big... They lure sailors to their death. <laughs> Jesus Christ. One of the what? big punchlines <laughs> is that their their music is horrible. Uh that that came up uh, right towards the end. Okay. Um but mm. it was it was fun reading. And I guess now that I'm talking about those two things at the same time, uh I'm like reading a lot of outdoorsy stuff. I don't want to read about people like eating in their houses. No. Except for Middlemarch, which is all people yeah. and it's... furniture. And people so and much furniture. <laughs> My God. I, oh, and I guess I have one one more thing like uh to bring up. So I my biggest parenting hack lately is I've been listening to audiobooks while hanging out with my daughter, not while actively playing with her, but while like taking a walk or cooking or something. I'm just like, I don't want to hear you talk. I don't want to hear me think. Audiobook. <laughs> Um, I would prefer amazing. the disembodied voice of a Robert Ludlum character. Yeah. It is you, actually fruit of my loin. It's it's oh my God, weird I totally because understand. I've been listening to these. Um, <laughs> I've been listening to the J.K. Rowling uh, 
pseudonym mysteries, which are oh yeah, oddly incredibly violent. Violent. Yeah, they're quite good. Um, they're really good. oh, they're really violent. Yeah. Yes, very very violent. <laughs> yeah. So oh, I should I should get into those. They're good. Vega's like, here's my pound puppy, and it's like a woman's leg is being sent in the mail. Uh, <laughs> but they eat like amazing pub food throughout, and I just I've become enraged because all the descriptions of these drinks like cold pints and delicious fish and chips it's it's becoming right. upsetting so i think i might have to stop you know what she, uh, a good sort of comp for her uh her pseudonym fiction is tana french like i like her yeah too. i like tana not, french not not so. dissimilar to each other all right well my my revisit is um not a recommendation Oh. Um, Uh-oh. Because no, no, but there's a good reason. Because because we have spent way too much time on this podcast talking about David Foster Wallace. Right. So I, I and I think the only thing more insufferable than Infinite Jest is people recommending Infinite Jest and saying <laughs> you have to read it. So I'm That's not true. going to say that, but I wanted to bring it up because I've been having conversations with a lot of my friends and and um, about Zoom exhaustion mm-hmm. about how over video calls you know it's like and how we went through this period where it was like man video calls are cool like we could have hangouts so like my wife and i would you know have drinks with friends you know or wine you know virtually or um we even had like a virtual birthday gathering where you know i went to a wedding you went to a wedding right so there was like that first period where all of that was really like cool and sort of exciting and seemed like you know and then even for my son was doing facetime with friends uh from preschool but then we all like turned it off. Like we all mm-hmm. like went through a turn where it was just like, I don't want to do this anymore. And so I've taken to like my friends just saying like, Hey, look, do you want to just have a phone conversation? And so like, I'm like, we can still have a drink together, but it'll just be a regular phone conversation. And like every time I've mentioned that everybody's been like, yes, thank God. I don't want to have to do another zoom thing. And so what this made me think of is that there is this passage in infinite jest that is like a lot of Infinite Jest, just, you know, in- incredibly bizarre uh, uh, diatribe that has nothing to do with the plot of the book, but that is really insightful or has some sort of funny satire to it. And this, there's a section in Infinite Jest where he describes, do you guys remember this? Did you ever read it? Or do you know about this section? I read, I read, I read it, but I don't remember what, ago. I don't know what you're going to talk about. Okay. So he predicted that they, that, you know, because Infinite Jest takes place in the future. Right. Um, I guess 20 years from the 90s or somewhere. I, you don't know the exact year because the years have been uh, branded. They're not n- numbers anymore. Um, but there's a section where he predicted video conferencing, first of all, like video talking, but then also predicted our exhaustion with it. And it is amazing. I just reread it because I've been talking about this. Um Here's a passage. I, I, there's a there's a version of it online, an excerpt online. So we'll we'll link to it on, on our episode. It turned out that there was something terribly stressful about visual telephone interfaces that hadn't been stressful at all about voice only interfaces. Video phone consumers seemed suddenly to realize that they'd been subject to an insidious but wholly marvelous delusion about conventional voice only telephony. They'd never noticed it before, the delusion. It's like it was so emotionally complex that it could be countenanced only in the context of its loss. Good old traditional audio-only phone conversations allowed you to presume that the person on the other end was paying complete attention to you (laughs) while also permitting you not to have to pay anything even close to complete attention to her. 
<laughs> and I think that that is so true because what's exhausting yeah. about Zoom is, is that you're able to see people cleaning their nails or, you know, gazing off at a space while you're talking. And then at the same time, you have to present a face that is like you're listening or engaging or having like a normal face-to-face -face conversation when you're not in the presence of the person. And it's just by the end of a Zoom conversation, you're, you're tired in a way that you just aren't from a phone conversation. Right. Um, so this is my bookshelf is read this pulp thing because it's amazing. He even goes into they have to they have uh, digital technology to alter their faces. He predicted that and and in the way he does it is they have to actually wear masks. So he goes in this whole thing about whether people wanted to wear it. Basically, after like eighteen months, they just exhaust you know people, the tele the video conferencing went back to regular phone conferences. And I think that we're going through that in a lot of ways. Like people are just getting on the phone for meetings now, and um, or maybe not. Maybe we'll push through it. But I I found it amazing. Like the second I had that thought of like there's this weird ex thing happening, I was like. Didn't David Foster Wallace write something about this in 1996 you know, or whatever? You know what's weird is, um, so for my job at, at UC Riverside, there's a meeting that I have to go to every month where it's all the chairs and directors of graduate programs and undergraduate programs. And so there's like 60 people get into a room and we have this meeting with our dean. And it's like even the dean knows that it's a really long, boring meeting. Right. Um, and like, you know, everyone shows up and... Like, if someone asks a question, like, it's an entire room of really smart people who are just like, the fuck's wrong with you? Why did you ask a question? Yeah. We had 10 more minutes. Get the fuck out of here. Why are you talking? So, at any rate, um, right after this all happened and we had our first meeting of all these people on Zoom, everyone showed up and everyone was full video and everyone was talking and everyone was engaged. I just had this same meeting last week and not a single person turned on their video. Yeah. Not a single um, person. They just, <laughs> it was just had their like, name my, up. Yeah, my video was on and I was like, oh, well, I guess I guess we're not doing video not doing anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so they were muting themselves and making dinner while they were sitting Yeah, the like ev everyone was muted. No one was talking. And then like... So you keep your headphones on in case someone says something where you have to, like, be aware of it. And so, like, I'd be listening, like, make sure they don't say my name. If they say my name, be like, I'm ready. And I was sitting here. I was I didn't leave. I was right here. I was always right here. <laughs> um, but only when someone actually had a question or were called upon or needed to talk about something, would they then turn their video back on? Yeah. It was from a sociological standpoint, it was absolutely fascinating. Yeah, my wife did two panels yesterday for a film festival, and she said it was just the you know a, a panel on women filmmakers and then a panel on uh, a Q and A for her short film. She said it was so bizarre. She was like, because she you know is usually fine with those things. She actually mm -hmm. enjoys them, but she was like so nervous about it. She's like, I don't know what it's going to be like on the you know. Yeah, it's yeah. weird. It's super weird. <laughs> so I I've done a few improv shows. Um, and it's weird because you can't hear the audience. Um, right. you just like Which is such assume a big part of the they're feedback. floating yeah. little heart or whatever on Facebook Live <laughs> represents something real. Um, well, it's on, just awful. Uh, on, on Friday night, um, my favorite singer, Jason Isbell, he released his new record. And he and his wife did a live show in an empty ballroom in Nashville. And... You could be, uh, they had these giant screens all around the ballroom of people on Zoom watching. And then at the end of each oh, song, wow. yeah, at the end of each song, they'd unmute everyone so people could clap and cheer and everything. 
But then when he'd start to sing, they'd meet them all back up again. Bizarre. Yeah, it was it was some like minority report shit. It was did really it work? Weird. I mean, did it feel like you went to a concert? Uh, well, I mean, like I sat there and listened, and it was cool, and he was talking, and the songs were great, and but it wasn't like it wasn't like the tickets I have for his show in July in Santa Barbara that there's no fucking way I'm going to. Right. <laughs> you know. Right. Yeah, it yeah. was it was unusual. It was unusual. But, you know, I feel really bad. I mean, Julian knows this more than, than anyone. Like, oh, these people that make their livings as live performers, the fuck are they going to do? <laughs> yep. <laughs> I, it's, did we talk about this last week? I can't remember. We might have, yeah. Yeah. But we, we might I don't think we talked about it on air. I oh, think it we was might a, not an off-air discussion about the future of, uh, oh, I mean, of live, our live industries. Yeah, it's funny because there's so much, rightfully, there's so much discussion and various guidance on businesses reopening, but nothing can tell you what customers are going to do. There needs to be emotional guidance somehow, or it's just going to be so bananas. I, I just, it's so overwhelming to think about if we open too early, people will be mad if we open too late, people will, you know, forget about us or we, they'll be out of the habit of going to live shows. If we do what we always did, that will be comforting to some people and horrifying to other people. If we change what we did, it will be the opposite. So I don't know. I don't know. Have Nobody you, knows anything. Have you guys started um, doing any of your classes online? We have slowly converted to doing that. It's fine. It's it's a whole new I'm not going to say it doesn't work. It definitely works, but it's a completely different product. It's a different mm-hmm. business. Um and you know, financially speaking, like it's definitely worth less, so we charge less, you know? Like you're not getting the amenities mm-hmm. of like a space and a community and you know, so it's a little cheaper. And I think people out there, like one thing I would love the listeners to understand, people, there's like this big flurry of like, ooh, do stuff online or like buy a gift card or send tips to random waiters. Like that's all cool. But like we have made so little money that way. Like for all the people giving, like shouting us out and trying to support us, like it is just not the yeah. same it's yeah. not going to keep anybody afloat. Like people need their yeah. real business models. Like even there have been a lot of um, discussions this week about you know restaurants are expected to all operate at half capacity or less, and it's like they can't. <laughs> they, they rely can't. on those jam packed days. So right, right. I'll be fascinated to see. You know. I mean, luckily, human human beings need live theater and live concerts more than anything. You know, yeah. like that is, I think, I think the the of that sort of entertainment area, it's movie theaters that are going to take the biggest hit through this. Yeah, because why do that again? Do you know what right. I mean? Like it was always it was always a sort of ritual, like a bizarre twentieth century ritual that was already kind of fading. Um, I mean, I mean, I love it. I mean, for me, it was the equivalent of church, you know, going right. to worship at the movies. Uh, and I and I think that there was there's a certain type of cinephile who's always going to need that and want that. But that is rarer, I think. If if you can have it at home, you're not going to risk your life for it. But 
getting in a room of people that are dancing and singing along to a music or seeing live actors act something out like those, that's just age old and human. Like mm -hmm. it's, that's never going to go away. You know, like that, that community, like we need that community. So yeah, it's just, can, can these companies, your company included, whether the, the year and a half, two years that it's probably going to be before we're or all comfortable doing Julia that just moved to Wisconsin. Because they're just, it's they're just Thunderdome they're, in Wisconsin. <laughs> so, uh, you know what I actually think is going to happen? Here's my prediction, just for my own observations, is everything will move outside. Like, people are gonna ha are starting to have a much greater American connection with the outdoors than we did before. Um, mm. And... Any outside version of anything is going to come back first. So your lawn mm -hmm. seats at your local giant stadium, that'll be great. That'll be the first thing that people feel brave enough to do. Drive-in movie yeah. theaters. If I had a yeah. million dollars, I would build a drive-in movie theater right now. You know, Me like too. that's yeah. how it would happen. And we are starting to get requests for online stuff. And then summer in Connecticut is already a time where people are doing little things outdoors. So we've had people be like, do you guys want to do a mini improv show outdoors? Um, and we will do that. But now I'm like, okay, I got to get everybody in a mindset. Like we got to buy new sound equipment and figure out how to do like a good outdoor show. Um, right. That's what's going to happen. That's I'm yeah, sure that's I, what's going to happen. I agree because I've been thinking about um, my MFA residencies. So we had to cancel our in-person residency in June. We're going to do uh, – the plan is to still have one in December. But my idea is we can do all of it outside. Mm -hmm. The weather in, in the desert in December is beautiful. And we could do every single thing outside. And I think people just feel safer that way. And I would feel safer that way. Because it's not just like what does everyone else need to feel safe. It's like what the fuck do I need to feel safe too? Like, <laughs> like I could say we're gonna do these things, but if I don't feel safe, I'm not gonna do it. Right. Oh God, I'm just gonna sit at home and read about death, immortality, and the meaning of life. That over sounds good. And over and over again. I'm gonna read about camping. <laughs> yeah. God, I'm gonna go around the world on the bucket list of my dead mother's life. Which actually, I, I think I pretty much have already done. <laughs> <laughs> Literary Disco is produced and edited by Justin Alvarez for Lit Hub Radio. You can reach out to us directly on Twitter, at Literary Disco. Happy reading, everybody. Thanks for listening.